2: Coming up, Ben Elwood and I start our Sophia Coppola movie watch with her first film, The Virgin Suicides. I'll also have a chat with you about episode four of WandaVision, and I'll give you a graphic novel recommendation with volume one of Something Is Killing the Children. Regardless of the subject matter, I promise you this is a fun podcast. My name is Justin Hamilton, and you're listening to Big Squid. It honestly wasn't until I was putting together that little intro that I thought, wow, on paper, <laughs> this, this podcast sounds grim, doesn't it? <laughs> like, you know, something is killing the children, the virgin suicides, even Wonder Vision has got some uh, pretty heavy stuff going on. But I promise you, it's a fun podcast and the discussion is a lot of fun. And if you're a fan of the quirks and mannerisms that seem to crop up when Ben and I are hanging out. I know of them because you've written about it on our private Facebook page. If you had a little drink every time one of them came along, I'm not saying you'll be drunk, but you might be a little bit tipsy, so keep an ear out for that. Uh, just also letting you know that I'm planning on starting The Leftovers rewatched this week too, so uh, keep an eye out for bonus episodes. Uh, maybe Thursday? possibly Friday. I'll, I'll try to get it out before the week end. Uh, I was going to start it last week, but ended up scoring a job down in Melbourne. And uh, I had to get a visa. How weird is that? Had to get a visa to fly down to Melbourne and then had to go straight into quarantine and get COVID tested. And uh, everything's good in case you were wondering. And then I worked on an advert that will run during the Australian Open Uh, behind the scenes. I was doing some uh, writing and some workshopping with a, uh, I don't know, what I'm allowed to say, maybe um, a prominent talent. If you've been over once again at our private page, you already know what I'm talking about. Keep an eye out for them. I think they're pretty funny. And uh, yeah, maybe once they're up and about i can uh, talk to you a little bit more and by the way if you want to join the big squid facebook page the like there's an open one but if you want to join the private one anyone can join i don't care if you're wearing thongs in a tank top uh for anyone overseas uh flip flops i know that you might be thinking oh that's a bit sexy but uh either way come and join us but uh anyway the uh the shoot was fun but it was exhausting and uh just when I was about to catch up on sleep, I I went to the Opera House on Saturday to see Judith Lucy and Denise Scott in their new show. One of the uh, all-time great double acts. Are they a double act? No, they're 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 solo acts, but they're also brilliant together. They're brilliant by themselves. They're brilliant together, and uh, I was really lucky to not only see their show but get to hang out with them afterwards. But suffice to say. I'm still recovering from last week, and so, turns out, as you get older, you don't bounce back like you used to. What a shock. But anyway, we will get that Leftovers uh, episode up soon. Uh, the first item I want to talk to you about is Volume 1 of Something is Killing the Children. I'd seen the title while perusing stuff at the comic shop when it first came out as monthly issues. And at the time, I was reading too much. And to be honest, sometimes things start and you... I don't know, they kind of disappear or they 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 go from being monthly to bi-monthly to you're sitting around going, when's, that, when's issue 4 coming out? And then... Then it never comes out, or by the time it does come out, you've kind of lost momentum with it. And I thought, you know what, I'll. it's an interesting title, and uh, I'll keep an eye on it, and when it comes out as a graphic novel, I'll pick it up then. And then, of course, 2020 happened, and I forgot all about it, and then by chance, I saw a review of the first volume and decided next time I was in at uh, my local comic shop, I was going to pick it up. Something is Killing the Children was a uh, Will Eisner nominee for Best New Series in 2020, and I can see why. It's created by James Tinian IV, Werther De La Dera, and Mikuel Moreto. I hope I've gotten their names correct. And... Uh, Starts starts uh, the story off in a place called Archer's Peak, a very normal-looking small town in the States. Recently, though, children have gone missing, and while most never return, the ones that do come back have terrible stories, almost impossible stories, about a terrifying creature that exists only in the shadows. Of course, nobody believes these stories until the arrival of a mysterious woman called Erica Slaughter. This is exactly what the town needs, and you know why? because Erica kills monsters, and she's very, very good at it. Uh, Deladera and Moreto's artwork is amazing, as it segues between being beautifully expressive and also quite abstract. Erica looks like the type of heroine you'd gladly follow into hell, while the town and the people who live in it resemble the dreams and faded memories most of us possess of our past. JT has written a compelling tale that deals with the fantastic but is grounded in perfect dialogue that sounds just like the people we hear in our everyday life. Also, the responses to the murders make sense. We've discussed this before, but when you want a reader or a viewer to embrace the craziness of something happening, you have to make the world relatable. You have to make the mundane parts be the things that you recognise from your own life. That way we can relate, and it also makes the horrific so much worse. The first volume covers the uh, the initial five issues, and I immediately went out and bought the second volume. I think it is better not to talk too much about what happens in the story for a number of reasons. Uh, it's it's a in a way it's a straightforward story. Uh, there's not too much going on, and that's not a complaint. It's streamlined, uh, but to even sort of say, keep an eye out for this, I think maybe takes a, a little bit of the fun out of it. So I wouldn't want to give away anything. Like, I essentially knew the title, knew one of the three people creating it, and, and found out uh, the name of the lead character. And even when I read the review, I kind of skimmed where it was talking about the uh, minutiae of what was going on. So going in a little bit blind, I think, uh, makes it a lot more fun. And I knew as much as I said at the start, basically. And when I started reading the title, and I saw the name Erica Slaughter and her design, I thought, this is a home run for me. So I'll read the second volume this week, and let you know what it's like in next week's podcast. If you've read it, Let me know what you think over at our Facebook page. Maybe we'll talk a little bit more about the plots of this volume next week, uh, which hopefully gives you enough time to go and check it out. And then if you haven't read it by then, that's all right. Then maybe talking about it will kind of entice you to go and check it out. But either way, uh, I was a big fan of that first volume, and I'm looking forward to uh, getting stuck into the second volume as soon as I can. Right. Let's talk about episode four of WandaVision.
1: What is it? Some sort of energy field.
0: Be careful, Rambo. Captain Rambo. Watch it.
2: I think the start of this episode was one of the best starts to a TV show I've seen in a while. Maybe you would need some prior knowledge about... Avengers Infinity War and Endgame. But I'm guessing if you're watching WandaVision, you're probably across that. Because the start of this episode, where we watch Monica reform when Thanos' stat is reversed, is an inspired moment of horror. One of the things that often drives me insane about these movies is that all these incredible things happen and you never really see how it affects other people. Like You see how it affects the heroes and the villains and and maybe some of the uh ancillary characters but you the normal people out there and I look don't get me wrong i know monica's not necessarily one of the normal people in this show she is actually one of the heroes but just sort of seeing her reform and seeing the hospital have to deal with it it's it's amazing like that's that's why i love the dark knight trilogy every action has a reaction and so to see the reaction to that in the opening here was just an inspired moment I loved it and it is a moment of horror like imagine if someone you loved disappeared just just disappeared and you don't really know why at the time and then eventually you discover that some superpowered alien snapped their fingers and made the person that you love not exist anymore and then you you'd grieve you'd be in mourning and then after five years you would have... In some ways, probably in most ways, begun to get on with your life. And then imagine if, uh oh, there's your husband, or oops, your dad's alive again, or what's that noise upstairs? The children are back. You see what I mean? Like, that is a moment of pure horror. In a good way, like, I'm not saying it's terrible, but. How would you cope with that? And at the beginning of this, we see the chaos, as I said, in the hospital as people begin to reappear. But we see that uh, Monica returns and realizes her mother has died. And in that moment, we also realize if you've seen Captain Marvel, we've lost the character that was Carol Danvers' best friend. That's a Heavy hitting scene right there, and I hope there's more Marvel movies and TV shows that explore the ramification of people blinking in and out of existence because that is a treasure trove of stories to be mined. Now, after three episodes of era-defining sitcoms through the lens of Wander and Vision, we now see what is happening in the real world, and this type of storytelling was used to perfection by the creators at Lost. Here we see Monica return to life, and then she eventually returns to her work as an agent for S.W.O.R.D. Great acronym stands for Sentient Weapon Observation Response Division, where she discovers she's grounded for terrestrial missions only. Terrestrial missions. That's interesting, isn't it? It's kind of a throwaway line, but it makes you think, well, that must mean there's space missions, and I wonder who could be working up in space on something. Uh, I wonder if it could be four fantastic heroes whose rights just returned to Marvel. Hmm. Hmm. Strokey beard meeting. Let's have a think about that. Then Monica is sent uh, off to uh, check out an anomaly with Jimmy Woo from Ant-Man and the Wasp. And it's great to see Jimmy has mastered uh, a sweet magic trick that uh, once dazzled him. (laughs) It's a really funny moment. took me a moment to actually realise how funny it was too. So Monica and Jimmy uh, head out to the town called Westview, which is a town that shouldn't exist. It's never existed before and Monica notices an energy field and touches the barrier only to be drawn into this impossible town. Now, in the comics, Monica was a hero who could manipulate all types of energy and was originally uh, a version of Captain Marvel. She was the African-American Captain Marvel, and she's also gone by the the name of Photon later on. Uh, Monica was, uh, just as a little side note, uh, her version of Captain Marvel was in the Avengers when I started collecting it as a kid. So I'm extremely partial to this character. Getting back to WandaVision, we have Darcy Lewis. Uh, She is brought to check out this barrier. It's great to see that character rescued from the abyss that is Thor the Dark World. And look, I actually don't want to get caught up in a complete recap here, but we're given explanations for the beekeeper and the colourful helicopter toy. And they're good explanations. As, As Darcy starts to Study the field and and starts to pick up on uh, the the sitcom vibe that's going on in there. We start to learn more and more about what's happening in this place, but of course, the revelation shouldn't be that much of a revelation. Like I don't mean that as a negative, but the revelation is right there in front of us all along. And yes, Wanda appears to be creating this place to deal with her grief. None of this should be a surprise because the series isn't called Wonder for nothing. Like it's not Wanda and the Vision, it's Wonder And that's just a, a a little treat as to let you know where this series is going. That's a that's a clever title too. I like that. I like that a lot. Uh But it's still great to have what appears to be some of the important mysteries laid out for us. Because here's the thing. We are getting answers, but there's still a lot more questions. Like, what is going on with Catherine Hahn as Agnes? Uh, Is this a dream version of the Vision? Or has Wanda possibly plucked him from an alternate reality? What is going on with all of the hexagons, including the shapes in Monica's boss's office? So good. Like, there's so much going on, and it uh, does really. Uh keep you uh, guessing, and the episodes go really quickly as well, and I I enjoyed uh, watching uh, Darcy as she slowly starts uh, looking into this uh, world, and her interaction with Jimmy, all of that was great, the acting of Bettany and Olsen is still amazing, with Vision looking more and more uncertain about what is happening, and sometimes Wanda's steely gaze, looking like a possessed Laura Palmer in the Black Lodge. Tiona Paris has been a favourite of mine for a while since I saw her in Mad Men, so I'm rapt to see her get a great co-starring role here. And I'm really getting into the idea that Mephisto is being introduced as the new big bad. There were just some fun little uh, kind of Easter eggs. The sheriffs uh, who come from Eastview uh, and they have a, uh, a, a number on their vehicle, which is 1966, which is... One inverted number from 666. That could be uh, a little stretch, but it seems interesting that that is there. I should have checked, actually. I wonder if Mephisto turned up in 1966 as well. Maybe I'll... Can, can, I, can I podcast and uh, do um, podcasting at the same time? Let's have a look. First appearance... And, uh, oh, no, it was December 1968. Hmm. Still, I was really excited then. <laughs> Always good to uh, be slightly off while, uh, while still recording. But anyway, uh, it's, it could just be that the numbers inverted. And uh, as I was saying, the sheriffs come from Eastview and hell is in the east. Uh, We also discover that WandaVision, uh, the broadcast of the the sitcoms that are happening uh, in her world, they're hidden in the cosmic microwave background radiation, which is the leftover radiation from the early moments of the Big Bang. So could the devil be using the early moments of creation to manipulate the power of Wanda by giving her all she wants? What an absolutely fun show. And look, I'm trying to avoid speculating like I did with Watchmen. I was so engaged with that. I, You know, it was almost incapable of doing anything else. That series was so full on. And this one, I'm just trying to let it wash over me. But there's so many tasty moments. We, like... That's why I just want to do brief overviews, because these could be whole episodes by themselves. But I am really, really enjoying this. And I know some people are complaining that they have to wait a week before the next episode. And I say to you this, stop complaining. This is better. Take your time. Enjoy the show. You know what happens when you binge a show? You get the Stranger Things phenomena. You're excited. You watch it all. You've forgotten it three days later. I haven't even bothered to watch season three of that series because I can't really remember anything that happened in season two. It was in and out of my brain so quickly. It was like I never watched it. And I'm loving WandaVision and I I, want to take my time. And I'm glad they're taking their time. I'm glad they're taking a chance and they're taking the Marvel universe into an exciting new era that has to be post Iron Man and Captain America. Please head over to our Big Squid Facebook page to share your thoughts and you know, maybe if you want to speculate, throw some speculations this way and I'll read out the most interesting ones next week. And in the meantime, bring on episode five. <laughs> The Lipsons are like many affluent suburban families in America in the 70s. The parents work hard and bring their children up in a rigid religious upbringing. Their five daughters are smart, charismatic, and a source of obsession for the boys in their neighbourhood. Yet when the youngest sister, Cecilia, slits her wrists, the illusion of normalcy is shattered, and those who love the sisters will be forever haunted by their tragic endings. This is the Virgin Suicides.
3: I'm completely out of touch with reality. I'm going to
1: ask you how. Bad chance. Lux, please, put your shit on this instant. Are you uh, an aviation enthusiast? I don't know if I'd call myself an
3: enthusiast. But, uh... <laughs> Do you like to wrestle? <coughs> Be. So much has been said about the girls over the years.
1: Those girls have a bright future ahead of them. But we have never found an answer.
0: Her act was a cry for help.
1: I heard it was an accident. Even then, as teenagers, we tried to put the pieces together. We still can't. We got a full tank of gas, we'll take you anywhere you want to go. That time, we've been waiting for you guys.
2: You kind of already know this story, but last week I did a gig, mm. which was uh, a good gig for me, but overall was a pain in the ass. Mm-hmm. And afterwards, I really didn't feel like hanging out with anyone that was there. Yep. And, they, and they were like, oh, do you want to have a drink? Do you want to come and hang out? And I was like, nah. And <laughs> I left and I came straight home. And I watched the Virgin Suicides, and I reckon in my twenty six, twenty seven years of performing, it's one of my top three decisions after a gig. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what a way to win the night, right? It was, it was kind of good because it was uh, because the night had been flat. Yeah, I had a, a corker of a gig. Yeah, like on a flat night, I had two. Uh, applause breaks, beautiful, which is great. Yep. So I felt alive. Mm-hmm. I felt good. Yep. It was walking distance. I walked home. Adrenaline was up. I was focused. Put on the Virgin Suicides. At the end of it, went, nice one, Hammo. <laughs> that has been a good choice.
3: So obviously you were able to fully lock in even yeah. after the adrenaline rush of the gig, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah it yeah, felt yeah. like
2: I was um, just really present in the world. Yeah. and, and, and the, the, What a great movie to be present from the beginning to the end.
3: Totally. And, and you know, it's quite dreamy, so mm. I'm sure it would have taken you along uh, very nicely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And
2: so I I think you're like me. That was mm. the first time you had ever seen it? Yep. Yeah. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. So I watched it last night with my buddy who had seen it in 1999 at the right. cinema, uh, who had a vague memory of it. And I think we started busting up laughing. It's very funny. That we is... started laughing within the first minute and we're laughing the whole way through until... The end. <laughs>
2: yes. No, no, no. But uh, we, I've got that in, uh, I think it's around the third question, uh, yeah. talking about the humour. So yeah. let's uh, let's get into these points that I've written down for us and we'll go from there. But just, uh, just as a random kind of question to start yeah. with, when you were a teenager, yeah. were you as mesmerised by the girls in your orbit like the boys are in this movie?
3: 100%. 100%. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I was uh, I was very uh, I was a very overweight uh teenager and so beyond just girls being out of reach in that kind of, you know, very standard teen way, they were kind of extra out of reach. Right. Like this was the this was the mid 90s, you know. I was the only fat kid in the school, you know. Now it's not so not so controversial, but back then it was like, well... Mate, you're a precursor." Like, yeah, yeah, kids yeah. are copying you, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like with the comic books, I was completely ahead of my fucking time. Uh, but yeah, so um, and every, I, I I still remember all of their names. Every year from year seven to twelve, I would have a flame in my heart for a particular girl in my year. Right. Uh, and then there was one, my best friend. Uh, who, you know, was that whole kind of like, you know, I'm your best friend, but, you know, I'm in love with you, and but you right, see me yeah. as your gay friend who you tell all of your secrets to, but uh, I'm yeah. misreading that as we're connecting and one day we're going to get married. And so she was the kind of through line the whole way through, but every year there was a, a, an extra one as well. Uh, and it was always that just pining and the unrequited love and that real... There's, there's a line in Virgin Suicides where the boys talk about how I'm paraphrasing I can't really remember but uh, where they're talking about how they intuited very early on that these are not girls they are women Right and they understand us and to us they are complete mysteries
2: Yeah completely unknowable and it's interesting I I felt like I was so I feel like I'm somewhere in between with that because some of my best friends in primary school like was a girl called Michelle Howe Hmm. and Michelle and I hung out and i honestly could say that between both of us there was never any confusion over what we were we were just mates yeah and we hung out we had a really good time yeah and i think we even had you know with all these other friends had one of those spin the bottle moments and (laughs) michelle and i just looking at each other going nah nah (laughs) why would that happen that would be weird making out with my sister oh my god and it was such a it was such a moment where we both looked at each other and in that moment went that's not happening but that's
3: beautiful you know yeah. because it is rare at that age for uh, a male and a female to be a heterosexual male and female to be uh friends with each other and f- for one or the other to not kind of have a secret longing yes you know because i you know i always uh you know and i obviously still believe this you know but even from a very young age was very much in that uh, headspace of like, oh, how great would it be to for your girlfriend to also be like your best buddy? Yeah. You know, just someone to goof off with and hang out with and have similar interests and all that stuff. Whereas that didn't seem to be very important to a lot of my other friends. It was like, shit. Um, and, you know, um, it was very hard to let go of that, uh, that unrequited love. Yeah. And in the end, uh, after year 12, I confessed all this to... My, my dear friend, uh, with the full expectation that she'd be like, yeah, I've been waiting six years for this moment. And it was just a very like clear cut, like, no. Oh. And it was devastating. And that was the end of our friendship. You know, oh, no. It was that unrequited love that was yeah. kind of holding the whole thing, well, for me anyway, yeah. holding the whole thing together.
2: Yeah, it's it's funny, like, if, if maybe if that had happened later in life and you confessed yeah. that, she would have been like, stop it, yeah. and then it's fine. Yeah. You, but when you're young, it's like, everything yeah. seems to be, oh, well, if that's what you've been thinking, then how can this friendship continue? Oh, it was me
3: as well. You know, I was incredibly right. immature and petulant, and, you know, I remember when she said... You know, no, being like, but I, I, I like not even being able to compute how she couldn't feel the same way as me. Right? We're so close. Right? We're so close. We like love, love hanging out with each other. How could you not feel like that? Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously you get older and realize, well, it's not that fucking clear cut, buddy. Yeah, it's just not. <laughs> it's just not. The.
2: It's interesting, isn't it? The. Uh. So I had uh, quite a few female friends. I think it was because. You know not only being raised by a single mum, but being around women. And they, like, mum was 19 when she had me. So, the women I was hanging around were... They were only, like, one generation removed from the girls that I was hanging out with. So, it just didn't seem that uh, out there. I kind of had... I had the crush on the girl uh, that I reckon lasted from grade four to grade seven. Like, it was pretty much the one... Yeah, that I thought was the. There there might have been little moments of looking at other girls and thinking, "Oh, she's quite sweet," and "Oh, she's quite nice." But that there was only the one that I kind of had. Oh, she's perfect. And, uh, but, it, it it and it's funny the unrequited love. I, I honestly, don't know. If I've ever experienced that, and it's not because. I'm a fucking winner, mate, and every (laughs) chick I like, likes me. But I think it's because there's... So I was brought up in such a way that just don't hassle girls. Just don't hassle women, you know, that kind of thing. And I'm not not actually saying this is a a positive skill to have, but I think if I kind of have an interest in someone, I will show them to a certain extent and if they don't reciprocate, oh, totally. I, I've I've moved on so quickly that it's just like, oh, well, that's that. Yeah. But I do sometimes wonder if there have been times I have dated the wrong women because they've shown interest in me. And I thought, oh, well, they've shown interest in me. I should date them. 100%. 100%. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So that's, you know, and then, yeah, 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 and then yeah, you're, yeah. you're dating someone who is ostensibly nothing wrong with them, but... They're just not for you. They, you the the two not of for each, each other, not for each other. Yeah. Yeah yeah,
3: yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, yeah, waiting for that. Uh, but you know, at that age, you know, uh, you don't even know what reciprocity of feeling looks like. Yeah, and so it's very easy to mistake you know, prolonged eye contact during a conversation for she likes me. I mean, it's that classic fucking dumb man thing of like, she smiled at me, she's in love with me. It's like, no, she's just a human being trying to be kind. Right. And you fucking completely misinterpreted this because you're a dumb dude with a brain full of cum. Yeah. Um, You know, I mean, it must be exhausting to be a a, a female of any age having to deal with that. Right. It's just, you know.
2: Yeah, where I've, Whereas I'm the opposite, and I used to do this as a joke on stage where a girl could be sitting opposite me, pointing at me, holding up a big sign saying, I'm interested in you, and kind of making, (laughs) sitting there, you know, with arms and legs and whole body kind of open and in in an inviting way. And I'd lean over to you and go, What do you reckon? I'm not sure. But they uh, just wish you'd give me a sign. But what do you think that
3: is? Didn't that's like innate self-loathing, or like I'm not worthy, or like what do you, what do you think that is? Because I because I do relate to that as well. As an so, adult, I relate to that. We were just talking before the mics. Yes. You know, there's three. Uh, there's three women in my lives where all signs, and I've subsequently found out. I was correct. All signs pointed to yes. Yeah. And I did not have whatever it is, the courage or the self-worth or whatever, to kind of just say, hey, is this... Yeah. What is this? Yeah. You know, not in a in a bullying or oppressive way, but just in a... Just asking the question. Hey, like, you know, because there's a part of my head wondering what this is. Let's just yeah. clear this up so we, if it's not a thing, we can carry on. And if yeah. it is a thing, let's fucking... Have a great time together.
2: As someone who still feels acute embarrassment over telling Ross Murphy in grade five that when he used the word skit, it was pronounced sketch, I (laughs) think it's just wanting to avoid embarrassment. embarrassment. And it's funny, it's the... In many ways, I deal with embarrassment really well. Mm. Uh, Like, something could happen and you go... Like, I could could drop a drink on myself in front of a girl Mm. and be like, oh... That's uh, pretty cool and I just would move on and I would be totally fine. But if, you know, the the times where you've sort of thought, oh, I think maybe this girl's interested and then she's not and then there have been such small moments that still sit in the back of my head and I don't want to, I just don't want to have too many of them going on. So I just need to be, what's happening here, you know?
3: You know when you hear those grand gestures, like a friend of mine, uh, you know, was hanging out with a, um, a woman that he'd known for a very short amount of time, and they were watching a movie, and he just held her hand, and they've been in a six-year, lovely relationship Amazing. ever since. The idea of doing like I don't, where do you get the fucking, cojones to do that? Right. The idea of leaning in for a, a kiss and someone right. going, "What are you doing?" is the most mortifying. Oh you know what? I mean? Even imagining it makes me want to fold in on myself and die. I just don't, like, it's like a different, completely different species or mindset to be able to go there.
2: If we'd been videoing that little part of the discussion, people would have seen me literally look away from you. Yeah, yeah, you, you did. I couldn't <laughs> even cope with that as an idea. I saw your chest cavity cave oh, in. Oh, my God. You are so right. That is one of the most mortifying things you can imagine. Can you imagine? You can imagine. What are you doing? Oh, no, I was just like... <laughs> <man>. <laughs> Like I accidentally touched an elbow with a uh, a female friend at the cinema and I'm like, I'm so sorry. Like I was just like, I'm I'm just like Tenet. Like I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm not that guy. I'm not that guy. Uh, It it was, it was kind of, you know, we'll get into the movie really properly uh, soon, but uh, it did kind of bring up a lot of uh, wonderful memories of uh, of the girls that I went to, uh, specifically primary school, maybe a little bit early high school and, uh, it was, it, 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 like, I mentioned Michelle Howe before, and I had not thought of Michelle in a long time. And, yeah. you know, she had two older brothers who were in the fucking cold chisel, mate. And <laughs> they love footy and they love Port Adelaide Magpies. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm sure Michelle and I would not have much in common now. But she was she was a cool girl, you yeah. know, we used to just hang out and do things together. And it did make me think about, uh, you know, those, those crushes where you. Yeah. Uh, you know there's there's you, you, you go through these different types of crush crushes as well where you there's the there's the crush on the person that you think you should have a crush on yeah um and then there's like the first time you have the crush on the girl that is whoa like I, i've i got a crush on her yeah, like, where, yeah, did, yeah, yeah. where did that come from and because these girls are all represented in the sisters, in yeah. so many different ways, yeah. and you're sort of sitting there, just oh yeah, no, I recognise her, I recognise her, I yeah. recognise her, I recognise her. Did you have that same experience? Yeah, hundred
3: yeah. yeah. percent. Yeah, actually, what you just said about the you know the, the girl that you never expected to have a crush on, um, yeah. that you know I'm suddenly thinking of someone that I hadn't thought of in many many years. But yeah, yeah of course, it's um. Yeah. And, and, and where your mind goes at that age, you know, yeah. like, I mean, I, 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 I can't speak for other guys cause I never lived in their heads, but for me it was never even about, you know, I always just wanted to smooch it was never even like you know once i got into mid-high school you know guys started talking about "Eh, i want to have sex uh and i was like i just want to like i just want to make out and cuddle and have a nice relationship and every girl i would fall in love with it was these you know projected fantasies into the future of how we'd get together and then when we were in our mid-20s we'd get married it was like these real like elaborate fantasies yeah. um, that I'm not, I, you know, well, other guys I've spoken to didn't seem to go down that path.
2: Well, the complete irony of being 48 and single and childless <laughs> was that as a youngster, I was going to meet the love of my oh, life, totally. get married, be a good husband, yeah, have kids, yeah. be a good dad. Yeah, totally. It was a real, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. just going to do that yeah. Yeah, and that yeah. never happened. Thank goodness I wouldn't have been able to see uh, Tenet as often as I did at the cinema. I gave up on the dream of Juzzy Jr. to have a full love affair with the movie. (laughs) So uh, the beginning of this film sets up that really dreamy and romanticised view of 70s suburban America, but Coppola cuts straight to the inside of the house and it's flat Mm. and it's beige and the only colour that you're kind of aware of is the blood on Cecilia's wrists, And this is a really confronting scene Yet, it's only a few minutes later, after a failed suicide attempt, that I laughed so hard Mm. when Cecilia's doctor says, you're not even old enough to know how bad life (laughs) gets. And she replies, obviously, doctor, you've never been a 13-year-old girl. Were you surprised by the humour in this? Because I didn't have... I can't say that I had expectations. Yeah. But I was like, oh... This is much funnier than I realised.
3: Yeah, well, I uh, I didn't even know what the movie was about. I had no, Neither did I. no premise, nothing. It, it, it slipped in by blind. me when it came. Yeah. Out. Um so I didn't. I didn't have any expectation. It uh, will. I mean, obviously, we'll get to this in a few movies' time. But uh, I really love the Sofia Coppola film, The Beguiled. Yeah. I don't know if you've have you seen this. It? I haven't stars. seen that one. You'll fucking yeah. love it. Uh, and that has a very similar humor to it. Just kind of understated. You know, droll. Um, so as soon as that line happened, I was like, oh, okay, it's the same director. And, yeah. and here we go. And me and my buddy were howling the whole way through. Yeah. And that and that laughter of you know. Um, not just these sequences are funny and these lines are well delivered, but that resonance, the truth, the truth of so much of it. Yeah, you know the way that thirteen-year-old, with I can't remember his name, but the, the really cool thirteen-year-old yeah. that, that throws himself off the roof for yeah. unrequited love. You know the, the way he's strutting along, yeah, you know. falls in the bushes and yeah. just kind of <laughs>
2: rearranges his sunglasses yeah, and, and
3: keeps strutting off again. Yeah, <laughs> like all that stuff was very. Uh, there was, I um, because I've only seen. Uh, this Lost in Translation and The Beguiled. I don't remember anything about Lost in Translation, but from what I remember, it, she, she, she has a way of capturing um, something true about being alive that is very hard to even put yeah. into words.
2: Oh, yeah. Like, you know, that first time you see Trip Fontaine, and <laughs> yeah. like, the even the scripting is beautiful where it's like, it, it's such a throwaway, but it's essentially he was the fat kid who yeah. got abs over summer and shot up. And then the the music that's playing yeah. and the haircut yeah. and the and it's all picture perfect and yeah. I laughed at that totally. moment because it was like, Oh, this is this is glorious. Yeah. Like yeah I yeah, yeah. I completely understand that kid in a few seconds of you setting him yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: And in metaphor, he that, that the way that is shot is how us who maybe uh, were fat and dumpy all through high school saw that guy, right? You know, strutting in slow motion, the perfect hair. You know, um, yeah. again, it captures that, that a truth that's very difficult to put into words. Yeah, is you know captured in visual metaphor and music and everything. Yeah. By the way, Trip Fontaine, maybe one of the greatest uh, names I've ever heard in my life. I oh. couldn't, I couldn't get over that for about five minutes. Oh. Trip
2: Fontaine. It, it was so perfect when I first heard it. I thought I'd misheard it. Yeah. <laughs> So like, how can how can letters be gathered together in such an exquisite form? Trip Fontaine, so good. What a what like trip. Anyway, I'd like. I, you know what? I do want that son now. I'll call him Trip Hamilton. <laughs> um, so the parents played by Kathleen Turner and James Woods. Mm. But, uh, James Woods was so good in this, I forgot that I hated him in real life.
3: Man, what a fucking tragedy <laughs> that James... I said that to my buddy halfway through. It was the moment where uh, he walks up to the plant and he's like, eh, having some uh, photosynthesis for breakfast and we couldn't stop laughing. Right. And I, and I turned to my friend, I was like, what a fucking tragedy that this guy lost his mind. And, he is so good. And he's when, so good.
2: So good when the guy... when the What is it? The principal last him where the daughters <laughs> have been and yeah. he's like, have you looked out the back? Like, yeah, the, <laughs> yeah, 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 it, yeah, yeah. He's even... Even because he's just boring as fuck. Yeah. And the way he delivers all of his stuff while he's quite clearly boring these kids. Yeah. Never never overacts it. Never. It's an amazing performance considering
3: his other body of work where, you know, he plays maybe not hyper-masculine men, yeah. but he. I've never seen him play a role like that. This yeah. kind of like, you know, submissive like, cowed yeah. 70s dad. Yeah. Uh, And it was just perfect The nuance of it And the little looks And you know Everything The gurning to camera Fantastic
2: And I've always loved Kathleen Turner And Kathleen Turner In this role of this Oppressive You know Can't express herself Kind of character To me This will sound like A weird uh, uh, Reflection But it was like watching James Kahn in Misery, who's this (laughs) hyperkinetic actor who's trapped in a bed and you can feel it. Like, you can feel... And her being this amazing woman and this amazing actor and just completely repressed and incapable of busting out was a masterclass in acting. I thought she was amazing.
3: Yeah, and a great choice because that role would have been so easy to play as, you know, Carrie's mum. You yes. know, just hyper-hysterical, yes. religious bigot, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. to go the opposite direction and play it real... Even right, you know, towards the end of the movie where she's locking them in the house and everything. I mean, yeah. you could really ramp up the hysteria yeah. in the performance around that part of the movie, and it's not. Yeah. Like, it's it's that real repression.
2: You know, this was never... Uh, it was always a series that I felt like uh, had the potential for greatness, but never quite got there. And it was... Um, uh, the David Duchovny series, Californication. Never saw it. It it, it always felt, it always felt like it, I always, especially early on, I thought it had some interesting things, and I felt like it was going somewhere interesting. And I think, uh, anyway, this is not a Californication podcast. But anyway, <laughs> one of the things that I actually thought was. Underrated and incredibly progressive about it was that Kathleen Turner was in it, and she, you know, she's had bad health over the years, and she looks very different to when she was younger. Mm. But they just played her as like she was this like super sexually charged woman, yeah, great. and she started having an affair with uh, Duchovny's agent and was destroying him. Yeah. And I always found that to be, and I'd be curious to know what people think. I always found that to be an underappreciated progressive moment in popular entertainment because yeah. it's like, yeah, she, she doesn't look like Susan Sarandon. Yeah. Like, yeah. she's looking her age. Yeah. But it's great because yeah. it's Kathleen Turner and yeah. she's such a good actor and it's funny. Yeah. And Isn't
3: it interesting when things like that happen and they don't make a big fuss about it and for some reason it is just not remarked upon ever. It yeah. just kind of goes under the radar, Yeah, you know, and it, and it is very progressive.
2: Yeah, and it's like, hey, you, you don't have to look like, uh, like, you don't have to look, 25 years younger Mm. to play a woman of that age who was still sexually active. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. That's a really good message. Anyway, maybe maybe it was missed because it was in California occasion and it didn't have enough other stuff going on. But anyway. And uh, every time I hear that
3: voice, it takes me back to Who Framed Roger Rabbit? My lord. Oh, yeah. My lord.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Great voice. Um,. So the parents are played by Turner and Woods. And they're strict Catholics who love their daughters but don't allow phone calls, parties, sleepovers or boys to invade their world. They even dress the girls in similar clothes that make them appear to be sex- sexless and kind of the same age. Like it's They, they kind of yeah. make them a little bit ageless. And cultish. And cultish. What do you think is the biggest mistake the parents make with their girls? Is there is there one... <laughs>
3: Locking them in the house
2: and never letting them do anything? Well, well that's like, you know, like... That's definitively – but yeah. what is uh, – do you think it's the – so the reason I asked that question is because I, uh, I was trying to work out where, where does it start going wrong? And it's right. the not I, – I think it's, of course, the physical act of locking them away. Yeah. But just even letting them hang out with boys is just such an important thing when they're younger because it would have, in a way – one of the most telling moments in the movie for me is when they go on uh, they go to the uh prom yeah and when they're in the car with the boys and you hear them talking they they do- they're talking about all the things that everyone'd be talking of about course. oh look what they've done with that front yard yeah, oh that's yeah. a bit ostentatious isn't yeah, it you yeah, know yeah, yeah, yeah. and they're just like oh at that point you're going they're just teenage girls and uh, i think if they'd been able to be able to hang out with uh, boys their own age, it would have taken a bit of the domestication yes. away yes,
3: I think uh, you know by, I mean, by,
2: by sorry, by cutting them off from that, yeah. they made them more to the boys and and to everyone else when totally they could have just been
3: totally I think one of the one of, one of the biggest mistakes parents make, and this is obviously very easy for me to say because i don't have children uh, is and i I understand this would be a very very difficult thing to do. But there must come a time where you accept the fact that life hurts, it's going to bruise you, and it's going to fuck you up, and that's not a bad thing. And to shelter people growing up from those realities of life is not to help them in any way. It's just to delay the inevitable. Uh, It's not to give them any kind of emotional or armour to navigate this stuff and so um i think the original sin is just tr- that 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 kind of um control yeah trying to control every aspect and you know oh my my wonderful baby can never experience just the realities of life yeah um you know and i think that's what inevitably leads to you know, the horrific ending of this film.
2: Yeah, yeah. And mistakes in general, you know, in, yeah. in, in, in other aspects of life. The uh, I've been listening to the uh, Scary Monsters album. I just hadn't really listened to it for a while, and I was listening to that. There's a lesser-known song on it called Because You're Young, and it's kind of like Bowie singing to his son, who would have been like a teenager at the time. And ostensibly, the song is about hey, you're going to have this happen, you're going to have that happen, and I really hope these bad things don't happen. But you know what? I'm this age, and they're going to happen. Yeah, they're going and to happen. Is, and, and you're young, and it's going to be okay. Yeah, they're going
3: to happen. Yeah. You, you, see, you see it on, you know, like, the, the, the difference between the parent who, when their kid falls over and whatever, scrapes yes. their knee or even breaks their leg, just yes. goes into hysteria. You know, as though it's happened to them or, or as though there's nothing to be gained from this experience, as though it's a 100% traumatic, awful experience that yep. is, you know, going to scar them for life, uh, as opposed to this is it, you know, yep. the, the shit happens yep. and how you deal with it after the fact is the true measure of your character. Yeah. Um, up you get. Yeah, up you get. Up you get. Yeah. And you see it all the time, you know, when kids fall over, they. You know, the bottom lip goes, the yeah. quivering starts, and they look. They look to the adult, whichever adult's closest to them. What's the adult's reaction? Is the adult like, oh, you're fine, up you get. Cool, yeah. up, up we get. Yeah, and it hurts. Yeah. does Not Not diminishing the fact that it hurts, yeah. but, you know, this will happen <laughs> a million times throughout your life. You will fall on your ass Yeah, over and over. And, you know, I think um, I understand the motivation in not wanting to see a child suffer in any way yeah but it's it's a very reductive disney view of reality yeah life has sharp edges and you can't (laughs) you gotta get used you gotta get used to it yeah
2: yeah the uh, it's a shame as well because uh, especially when you see these girls uh like i it's so funny that they they look so similar they they're dressed similarly all of that and in it's not a very long film either, and in mm. such uh, a, a perfect amount of scenes and words, I felt like I knew each girl. Like yep. they felt really defined to me, yep. and it was, you know, sp there were a couple of them that were I, I thought really funny and yep. really, really on top of things in ways that no one else really understood. And and, yep. and it, it, that's kind of the tragedy as well. Is like you're looking at a lot of these girls and thinking. God, like you just, you could have all been, all been brilliant doing oh, totally. all these amazing things. And, yeah, yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. There was a point, you know, obviously they flag in the first minute of the film what's going to happen yeah. by the end. Yeah. Uh, but I truly, about three...
1: This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com.
0: Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. What is the way through? Believe that it wouldn't.
2: Right.
3: I really, you know, it was like, no, they're, you know, they're, I don't know whatever they'll, like, they'll they'll be able to push through this hardship and get to the other side but it, evidently.
2: Yeah, that's interesting. There was a moment where I wondered if it was a metaphor. Yeah. And then and then as it progressed you went oh no 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 metaphors. Yeah. Uh so you know we were just talking about how the sisters are physically presented as almost perfect replicas of each other. Hmm. Uh but we also realized that they uh, we learned their uh, definitive personalities. Um out of the sisters which is one you think you would have gravitated towards? Kristen Dunst. Oh right, <laughs> right.
3: Well, just because she's funny.
2: Yes, she's really funny. Yeah, and she knows
3: who she is.
2: Super yep. confident. That's funny. I I would have been. Uh, I reckon it was the eldest, Mary. Right. But she was also, for the same reasons, she was funny. Like you know, <laughs> when the guys, the, the young guys, like. Uh, Trying to talk to her. Oh, yeah. we, we we don't have to talk. And <laughs> I, as soon as she said that, I was like, that would have been my friend. And she would have been telling me, oh, God, you should have seen. And I would have been like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny that we both we both picked the girls with the senses of humor. Yeah, of course.
3: Um, of course. I remember seeing a movie sometime. What movie is this? Where... So, uh, um, uh, again a very religious controlling parent says to the daughter you know don't be funny boys don't like funny girls oh yes it's like
2: what are you talking about yeah one of the worst what lessons are you talking that about i it always it always makes me lose 15 percent respect for any of my male friends who say anything close to that. What well, is how
3: weak? Like, really? You're threatened by a female being funny? That's fucking lame, dude. Right. What's wrong with you? <laughs>
2: like, don't you want to hang out with someone who says it's something funny. that makes you laugh? Yeah, it's great. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a really good feeling. It's great. And... And it doesn't have to be a competition. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, no, not everything needs
3: to be a fucking dick measuring uh, contest. Like,
2: it doesn't mean you can't get a hard on anymore. Yeah. It's just because she was funny. Yeah, yeah. Should be rapped. Absolutely. I told you, I saw Judith Lucy and Denise Scott last night. Yeah. Fuck, it was great. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> Fuck yeah. <laughs> like, they're two of the best comedians this country's ever produced, and mm. they're on stage together, yeah. just riffing. Yeah, great. And it was mesmerising. <laughs> it was so good. Um,. So funnily enough your answer about uh Kirsten Dunst's character Lux. Mm. So I'm not saying that I wouldn't have noticed her mm. but at that age yeah. because of uh because of the way other boys were sort of drawn to her. Yeah. That's exactly why I wouldn't have been. Right. Okay. So not in a not in a defined or I'd I'd just go like there were girls at my school that I would see the way some boys were around, and I would be like, "I'll say hello, but I'm not gonna." Because
3: you didn't want to make her have to endure one more dude going. Uh, duh, uh, well, uh, I, duh. I
2: also this gets back to the embarrassment thing. I didn't want to be mistaken for one of those boys yeah, as yeah, well. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I would have been hanging out with Mary and having a more relaxed time, laughing about stuff. Oh, yeah, not wanting
3: to be mistaken. One, there, there there was someone I was so deeply in love with uh, in my early 20s and maybe something could have happened. I don't know. But she was one of those women who every dude fell in love with her. Yeah. And I was adamant to not be one more yep. guy that was hanging out and then eventually going, oh, I, lo- I like you. <laughs> like, don't do that to her. <laughs> yeah. It's like, uh, you know. I mean, and I think that's a good, I think that's a really good impulse. Yeah. But I do, you know, it's, it is one of those ghosts of Christmas past as I turn 40 this year. It's like, right. oh, what could have been if you just uh, kind of yeah. gone over? Oh, uh, not, not in a, you know, putting it on her of like, please make me happy kind of way, no, but, but just kind of, you know, where the up path... the conversation a little bit. Yeah, where yeah. would it have gone? Yeah.
2: yeah. Uh, so the girls are subjected to not just the male gaze of their high school peers, but also the gaze of their parents and the adults in the neighbourhood. How do you think the girls would have survived in modern times, where in many respects, people can own the way people look at them through social media? I'm not saying everyone can, but there's a lot of women who will just, mm. this is who I am, and I'm just going to show it. And I'm, it was funny watching it, thinking, wow, these girls are in the '70s. Yeah. What would they have been like in 2020 and having Instagram at their hands? And like, who would have, who would have? found a way to express themselves and maybe gotten themselves out of that situation, who would have been maybe in in a worse situation? Yeah, uh, well,
3: I mean, you know, obviously uh, there's no shyness in communicating. Like at the yeah. end when there's, you know, the light, the, the Morse code with the lights and the, and yeah. the records over the phone, uh, you would have to assume if they uh, each had a phone, well, first of all, their parents probably wouldn't have allowed them to have those devices. But yeah. if they did... Um, you know, I, I imagine it would have been a lot more vocal. Uh, have you have you ever, you know, Kellyanne Conway, Trump's oh, fucking yeah, uh, yeah. senior advisor or whatever she was? Yeah. Uh, her daughter is very, very, very vocal on Instagram. Right. Uh, and is always, you know, talking about how awful Trump is. And, oh, yes, I yeah, have seen yeah. that. Yeah, so, yeah. So, I mean, I imagine it would have been something similar to that, just yeah. kind of uh, the empowerment to push back. Yeah. But, um, you know, in terms of, uh, presenting who you are on social media, I blanch against that just in the sense of, uh, I think it's, for the most part, either a construct, right, that maybe bears some similarity to reality, but you know is is performative by its very nature, uh, and also I think on social media, people. Particularly those people who decide that they're going to, you know, dear diary every fucking thought they've ever had and put it online. Uh, I don't think that they realise they are revealing aspects of themselves that they aren't aware that everyone's reading into.
2: Oh, yeah. I don't don't discount any of that. But I also think that these girls in these modern times, it may have given them... Like, even if what they're showing is performative. Mm. Like, Lux, I think, would have been performative. Yeah. But that might have given her even more power to sure like that performance doesn't necessarily mean you're being weak it just means she could have controlled a little bit more i kind of feel like mary would have been able to kind of control aspects of her life a little bit more but uh i I said mary was the eldest before it's actually therese therese who was the eldest who was just in she seemed really sweet i i kind of think oh she might have struggled a little bit yeah yeah
3: yeah and and you know so much of it's dependent on the uh external feedback that's coming with from each post yeah you know like if uh if you've got a uh a thousand followers going yeah this is a fucked situation it reaffirms this thing that you probably suspect yeah but you know in the in the late 70s you know isn't uh as kind of um full on yeah as it would be now
2: uh Coppola does a, an amazing job of using humor, as we said, to show us the way the boys fumble their encounters with the girls and how they view them from afar. Do you remember what your friends were like when they f- were first mixing with girls their age? I <laughs> yeah. so I I remember <laughs> I think I was pretty lucky. So this made me think uh, like this made me think about this a lot. It, once again, it's not something I've thought about for a while, and I feel like the close friends, like the really good friends of mm. mine, were all pretty good i think they were brought up really well and uh nothing was overtly like i'm not saying that there weren't missteps yeah you know uh but it was all pretty respectful and it made me feel really good about my upbringing those friends to go oh yeah they were all kind of fine yeah well
3: our our group of friends in high school was completely intermixed it wasn't like the boys sit on one end of the playground, yes. you know, it was uh, so there was a lot of friendships yeah. uh, before, you know, and of course, everyone was, you know, your teenagers, so everyone's lusting after each other, right? But um, it was very strange at my at my school. For some reason, it was very. It wasn't a religious school. There was no morality attached to it. But for some reason, our grade was very conservative when it came to making out i mean i remember the first person um, who knows it it could have happened without anyone realizing but the first time it was a known fact that someone had lost their virginity i think it was the tail end of year 11 right uh and it was like whoa right whoa they had sex i mean we were still playing giddy ironic games of spin the bottle in year 12 right you know the way kids you know probably doing year eight now yeah. where it was like oh, oh my god I can't, I can't believe i can't believe we're doing this you yeah. know and, and under the and and having to create a um framework for it for getting all this you know high-end hormonal energy out yeah um you know again i don't know i, I wasn't one of the, the girls in my year so it's was, it was probably a very different experience but i don't remember a lot of lechery and, and Robbie I mean there, there there was definitely one guy in our year that was a known creep
2: yeah um and that was the biology teacher <laughs> well, yeah <laughs> actually the ancient history teacher right um yeah real grot yeah you know i I think uh I was talking about this with a friend the other night I was a real floater in high school, so I'd hang out with the nerds and play dungeons and dragons and then a couple of weeks later I'd be hanging out. Uh, with the Asian kids playing Happy Sack and then I'd be hanging out with the cool girls and then I'd be hanging out with the rough boys and then I'd be playing basketball. And I just never really stayed in one one group for a long time. And uh, I wonder if... Uh, never been invited to a school reunion either. And it's like, for fuck's sake, I'm the guy with the highest profile. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Like, I know Limo. Surely you want to talk to me. Would but, you go? Uh, I don't know. My 20-year 20 one was last year and I didn't. I couldn't, yeah, right. I couldn't do it. No, I don't know how I would have, you know, but, it, it, like, it's, it, it fucking invite me. Um, <laughs> but I wonder if maybe I missed bad aspects of behaviour yeah. because I was floating. So, like obviously, I would get to a point where I'd start to think, whew, this is getting full on. All right, time to move on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. so, yeah, yeah, So, So, yeah. I wonder if I have a this kind of... Uh, in many respects, maybe a slight naive uh, teenage history to a certain extent because I never stayed long enough to start seeing the degradation of a group and therefore the bad behaviour that would come Yeah,
3: maybe. It. It's, it definitely sounds different uh, from school to school. You know, a, a, a person I work with who's exactly my age, uh, you know, she talks about her high school, everyone was on... Acid and smoking, and honestly, no one. Honestly, there was one. uh, There was one girl in year twelve that started smoking, and we all thought she was a fucking loser. Right? Like, why do you do that? Again, I don't know why. It was a very kind of. um, You know, we were naughty. We were definitely mischievous and very naughty, right, and always up to schemes, yeah, but it wasn't that stock standard um stuff you hear from high school about you know people smoking cones in the bushes, and you
2: know sometimes I wonder something that we underestimate is I wonder if there'd been a really good advertising campaign in the lead up to that stuff, so um like I remember funnily enough, I remember Limo used to have a really funny joke, like a really really funny routine in 99 about um, drink driving and getting caught and, you know, blowing a cricket score and it had heaps of jokes and it was a, it killed. It was a killer routine and 18 months later, he was getting nothing and it took us ages to work out. There'd been a big campaign in 2000 of drink drive, you're a bloody idiot and things had... Change so maybe when you got into school, that maybe there'd been a, a yeah. big anti like uh, effective anti smoking campaign. Well, I, believe or the,
3: I believe the anti smoking was because all our parents smoked, and in that classic oh, yeah. way, it was yeah. just like that's fucking lame because our yeah. parents do it. Yeah, uh, whereas you know, uh, a lot of 20 year olds I know now are full on smokers, yeah, and you know, and, and they all credit that uh, from Mad Men. Right. They all grew up watching Mad Men and thought smoking was cool. <laughs> wow, <Well>, look. <laughs> or plus, you know, they were probably rebelling against the uh, that the remember those vile anti smoking campaigns yeah. in the early two thousands. You know, yeah. the amputated leg on the yeah. bus and like you couldn't. It's like fuck off. This is actually violent, psychic violence. I don't yeah. smoke yeah. and I don't need to see a fucking amputated foot at seven o'clock in the fucking morning. Get out of my face. Yeah, and, and I, I wonder if there's a rebellion against that where people are like, don't tell me not to fucking smoke.
2: Yeah. And also, why is that person smoking with their toes? Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know how it works. Anyway, so I had to ask you about this. I saved this for a little bit later into the, into the questions. What did you think of Scott Glenn's priest moving through the house without anyone really wanting him there? <laughs> oh, my God. Like, did that not just creep you out? Yeah,
3: yeah, 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 yeah. Especially a Catholic priest oh. wandering through a house, kind of uninvited. You know, the dad did tell him no one wants to talk to you. Well, I'm going to go and talk to them anyway. Right. The presumptuous. And mate. he's such a
2: good actor as well. Yeah. And there's just this insouciance of the yeah. way he's... And I, it, it says a lot about them as a family that they would... You know, like, James Woods ostensibly ignores him because he's just yeah. trying to watch TV and that's yeah. all he wants to do. Yeah. But there's that scene when he comes in and he speaks to Kathleen Turner and she's got her back to the, yeah, uh, yeah, to her. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. It's kind of a... Um, that one shot looked like it could have been in a horror movie. Totally. And it
3: was almost like a denunciation of their own faith, you know, because, I mean, when would you need to talk to... If you were, if you were a staunch Catholic, when would you need to talk to a priest more than right. when your daughter has just died, especially in the manner in which she died? Oh, my Lord. You know, according to Catholic tradition, she's... Burning in the river sticks right yeah, now, yeah. Um, yeah, and the, yet they don't want a bar of it. They yeah. go to ground and they all, you know, yeah. well, obviously the daughters all support each other, and then it's it's interesting that the parents are completely separated, yes, uh, upstairs and downstairs. Uh, and uh, that's it's an amazing piece of acting from James Wood in that where Woods in that where he's watching the baseball game, but every so often you see his eyes focus from the tv just to the middle distance yeah and he's lost in the horror of the situation and yeah. suddenly it's too much and he's back to the game yeah and, and
2: he's complaining about yeah. something yeah, happening yeah, yeah.
3: there brilliant bit of acting
2: yeah so uh, I, I found it was such a small part of the film but it really yeah. lingered with me afterwards and the way that I just that oh yeah i just you know what does he say he he, he kind of covers it up Oh, I, so,
3: I I I said it was an accident. Yeah. As though you can trick God. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> hey God, she didn't kill herself. It was an accident. Oh, Okay. Oh yeah. Sorry, I was just I'll put her out of hell into heaven.
2: Yeah. Sorry, I was just answering some prayers at the Middle East, and it was really hard because I was answering uh, heaps of different people who all wanted different things, and I missed what happened. So <laughs> that's a terrible accident. <laughs>
3: it does seem to me. Uh, I've always I've always blanched against that notion that you can and and it does. I don't know if it's like uh, it's like the whole idea of confession and everything. But it's always like, you know you can't trick the omnipresent. Like, if, if the God is the God that you believe in, yes. this omnipresent, omniscient, yeah. you know, father figure, yeah, you really think you can pull a swift one on him? What are you fucking talking about? Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, it's...
2: it's Like, where's the conviction of your own belief to think that you can trick God? I would find it completely entertaining, except for all of the terrible things it has... Made happen Absolutely. in the world Absolutely Well yeah.
3: you know There's that that there's that notion That you can you know Do whatever the fuck you want And yeah. as long as you go Sorry It's yeah, so all I've, good
2: uh, all A good. few Hail Marys yeah. I'm back baby Yeah yeah I'm back Speaking of horrible, any thoughts on Lydia Pearl's reporter? <laughs> he keeps turning up. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. That was really... Yeah, I, I liked that, that it was, uh, you know, this real criticism of, you know, parasitical media, but without kind of banging on about it. Just another yeah. little theme bubbling away in the background.
2: And once again, like, I think, you know, as soon as the movie finished, I, the predominant thing that I thought about was the male gaze. But the thing that kind of tied it all together was... The uh, Cecilia saying you've never been a thirteen year old girl, and realizing no, it's not just the male gaze. The male gaze is important to discuss in this film, but it's the neighbours, yeah. it's the reporters. Like there's there's a really funny scene actually when they're chained to the tree, yeah. and she says I want to get a shot of the yeah. girls to the tree, and the girls have already left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she right. just starts reporting, yeah, yeah, yeah,
3: yeah, without even turning back to see if they're still there. They're still there.
2: <laughs> what a what a what a delightfully awful character. Yeah. Uh, what were your thoughts about the elm trees being cut down because they may have Dutch elm disease? Uh, do because uh, I'm guessing the the trees represent how the girls are gradually dying from the way they're being treated. That's how I read that. Yeah, and if they say that tree, they can kind of save themselves.
3: Yeah, there's that. I also wonder if you know preemptively cutting down the tree is you know it, just in case something awful happens is almost a metaphor for the suicides. Right. You know. Right. Let's take ourselves out before, yeah. you know, instead of just seeing what happens. Maybe it'll rot, maybe it won't. Yeah, maybe it'll be fine. Maybe it'll be fine. But yeah. nah, let's just fucking lop it down anyway.
2: Yeah, well, uh, Dutch Elm disease is, uh, in a way, representative of the disease. The, the way the neighbourhood looks at the girls after Cecilia's death, like now they have that disease and they don't want their kids... Yeah. Like it's going to pop from each... Each kid to their yeah, own. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: Well, that famous phrase that I, I assume, because I've I've known this phrase for. You know, most of my life, I assume it predates this movie. But that really famous phrase, you know, it's three p.m. Do you know where your children are? Oh, right, yeah, um, yeah. You know, and that seemed to kind of uh, yeah.
2: I think I know that from my youth as well. Yeah,
3: yeah. Uh, and you know, uh, that 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 would that that seems to kind of cover that idea of like, oh my god, is this some kind of mind virus that's now going to spread through the yeah through the town? Is this the new trend?
2: <laughs> even even the removal of the fence, you yeah. know, like it's this really uh very safe suburban area mm. and there's still this fence that's caused this awful moment of death mm. and then all the men being there incapable <laughs> of getting it out and they have to literally get a truck yeah. to remove it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, like all the all the family around gawking like this is Hey, what are you doing today? I'm going to go down and watch the fence get removed. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, I'll
3: bring I'll bring milk and cookies. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And there's actually speaking of fucking horror movie shot, I, I it it really upset me. It was like a lynch shot where it suddenly cuts to a, uh, a couple of women watching. And then this other woman with a tray of lemonade just kind of glides past the camera with this weird disembodied smile on her face. yes, And it really upset me. It was just like, what What is this? What's going on?
2: Yeah, and everyone's so judgmental, but nobody... (laughs) So so I've been... We should talk about this at some point in a a different podcast, but uh, I'm about to embark on a reread of Grant Morrison's The Filth.
3: Oh, I just did that.
2: Right. Yeah. Oh, did you? I did. Maybe that's what inspired me. Anyway, that's interesting that you say I that. I used it
3: as my toilet book for a while. I thought it highly appropriate to read that while right. taking a shit. Right.
2: Right. Yeah, yeah. I feel like he'd be I feel like he'd be totally into knowing that as well. But um, you know, in many ways uh, so I'll just touch on it now. Yeah. But there's a there's a really interesting statement in that graphic novel which is if you don't Connect with society yeah. you're and you 're just focusing on yourself you 're actually doing the wrong thing yeah. like you, and if you don 't like the way the world is, hmm. then you have to embrace it and you have to be a part of it mm-hmm. to make some sort of positive change yeah. and it 's interesting all these people like they 'll come and remove the fence, yeah, but no one 's knocking on the door 100%. and saying. Can I help out? Or yeah, do you I, need to talk to someone? Yeah, or can I make you dinner? Yeah, hey, why don't I take the girls to somewhere? Yeah. You know, uh, everyone's just watching from afar with mm. these firm views, yeah. but no one has any solutions. Yeah, 100%. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. Which, you know, it does... I, I guess that's the kind of uh, the horror cliche of suburbia. Yeah. You know, the facade of perfection, but really, yeah. you know, behind the white picket fence. You know, that, 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 the classic shot at the beginning of Blue Velvet, yes, you know, just under the surface. It's all these filthy insects cannibalising each other. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Eating an ear. Yeah. (laughs) Uh,
2: The narration reveals the boys in the neighbourhood are still haunted by the girls, uh, even as the boys become adults. Mm. Uh, The narrator even mentions when they catch up as grown-ups, they still talk about the girls. That time hasn't diminished their memories in any way. Mm. Is that... Because in spite of their amateur detective work the girls will always be a mystery or is this just an example of them being trapped in a type of arrested development or maybe a bit of both?
3: A bit of both. Yeah. Yeah. And the, and and almost the uh the comfort of nostalgia, even if what your are what you're what you're being nostalgic over is uh kinda awful. Yeah. You know, the uh the lens of youth. I mean, you know, I think that's really um brought home when it, because the only uh, present day scene we have is of Trip Fontaine.
2: Yeah, Uh, in rehab.
3: In rehab, very diminished. Yeah. Uh, You know, and as awful as that time was, uh, it seems like it may be, at at least it it, it, it was still rich with possibility and mystery rather than now when everything's very concrete. Yeah. You know, oh, I am what I am and this is the age I am and there's very little um, ahead of me. Yeah. Whereas back then, it's, you know, infinite possibility. So yeah. So it's easy to kind of go back and... Well, he romanticised He romanticised it, yeah. yeah.
2: and he treated her awfully. Yeah, he's a fucking prick. Oh.
3: But, and then just in that typical, you know, way. You got what you wanted and yeah. all of a sudden it was, uh, I've got it. And yeah. the only reason I wanted it was because it was dangled in front of me yeah. and not, a, you know, a guaranteed thing that I could just snap my fingers and get.
2: Yeah. I thought that was really well presented because I... Did believe that he wasn't awful. Ah. Like, you know, in the lead up, I was yeah. like, oh, I think this guy has been, you know, like, I believe this is what he's feeling. And then when no, she no, wakes man. up by herself and you go, Motherfucker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, good I mean, work, Sophia Coppola. It was all come. Yeah. It was all come yeah. driving that, those decisions. I also found the fact that they stole the discarded family photos. Yeah. Like, they all kind of took uh, these remnants. I found that fascinating yeah. that even after all this terrible stuff has happened, there's still grabbing these, yeah, uh, yeah, the, yeah. the flotsam jetsam of their lives to still try and hold on to it in some way.
3: Well, and the fact that the family photos are thrown in the garbage as though oh. it never happened, as though yeah. there never was the family yeah. down the memory hole. Yeah, they got someone Very else sad. to,
2: you know, pack up the place and yeah. move on.
3: It's the, you know, it's the extreme polar opposite of those people that leave the child's bedroom exactly as it was on the day they died yeah you know maybe maybe both extremes are a bit sick
2: yeah yeah there's got to be somewhere in between right um actually while i think of it do you have any sympathy for a grown-up trip fontaine
3: oh like i in in the sense of like you know, life is complicated and, you know, I don't think anyone's, other, unless you're a clinical psychopath, no yeah. one's fucking that evil and, you know, I mean, look, you can't... I know that the, the politics of the day is very keen on holding people to account for things that they did yeah. 30, 40 years ago and in some cases that's completely justified. Yeah, In another case, you know, uh, judging the actions of a 16-year-old, or 15-year-old boy who is, as far as I'm concerned, barely human at that point. Right. Well,
2: so the the reason I ask is uh, because even though I didn't want to get past the fact that the one scene that we see of his life, I couldn't work out which one his dad was.
3: I thought they were both his dads. Right.
2: And they were letting him drink. Yeah. And, you know, and it's like, well, you're not quite, like, not making excuses for him, but I understand that... that kid's journey from being the fat kid to suddenly being that you know not knowing how to deal with it because he's never had any lead up to it these dads who don't like you know they're doing what they think is their best but they're letting him drink and giving him what mimosas or something at such a young age and now he's in rehab yeah yeah
3: yeah yeah yeah, I think it's um
2: it's 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 good complexity. There's a tragedy there's a
3: tragedy to his life. Look, I don't think, you know, all you can judge the character on is what you see in the movie. He never does anything that is illegal or so hate. Like the, he he never does anything in the film that is outside the general parameters of just shitty teenage behavior. Yeah. You know. Yeah. yeah. He doesn't sexually assault anyone. No. You know, he doesn't force himself on Lux when he's yeah. asked to leave. He leaves. Yeah, you know, he no. seems real stoked when she comes out to the car. Yeah, and makes a move on him. Yeah. So you know, like, no, I don't. I don't it's just I don't condemn that guy to hell. No, he's just a dumb teenager. Yeah.
2: The girls are presented in dreamy shots where they often appear larger than life to the boys who adore them. When they read the Swipe Diary of Cecilia, they know that these girls are women who have much more interesting things in mind, like where to travel, the friends they could have had and the love that they shared. Yet between the boys, the gossip of the neighbourhood and the ongoing news reports, we witness the girls being trapped by expectation and not respected for who they really are. In your dealings with the kids that you work with, are we making any progress in that aspect of life?
3: I'm so sorry I vagued out. <laughs> so <sorry. laughs>
2: you know, that's one of the favourite things that people listen to is, is that the you vaguing out all the moments where uh, you forget what you're talking about. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like that's they, often. Th- they are highlights. I'm sorry. Have a drink if you're listening. Sorry, sorry, go again. No, no, uh, you know what? I'll just say, are we getting better at uh, making, with the kids that you work with, yeah. I'm not going to go through that again, that was okay. too much. In the kids that you work with, yeah. are we getting better at bringing up girls in a way where they're not trapped by these expectations that aren't realistic.
3: I think so. Yeah. Yes, I think so. The fact that there's a lot more dialogue about it, the fact that there's, um, you know, uh, multiple ways, and, and I would say it's the same for boys, you yeah. know, there's there's multiple accepted, or increasingly accepted, we're not 100%, we'll never be 100% there, but we're getting better at uh, at widening the parameters of what a... Boy or a girl can be, yeah, uh, and offering distinct possibilities outside of you know. When I was, and, and I'm sure you had a very similar thing, although you like some sport. But you know, when I was in high school, the fact that I didn't like sport, it was right. like you are a fucking freak, right? People just thought they couldn't get their head around it, yeah, you know. Uh, which of course just galvanised me and made me even more belligerent and like, i never like it just out of spite. Whereas now that that that's you know. That's fine. Yeah. Uh and and you know, um, you know, the the very fact that so many girls now are into video games and comic book culture yeah. just just as an example. Yes. You know, fuck, you never saw that twenty years ago. Oh no. No um, not at all. So I think I think we're getting better at understanding that there are multiple ways to be Yeah that aren't necessarily locked into uh, 1950s gender stereotypes.
2: Yeah, it's, it's, it took a long time. Took a long time. That feels like it's going in the right direction. It took a long time in the sense that
3: a human lifetime is very short, and so, yeah, it took a long time. But if you actually look at the arc of history, you know, the human species in its current form, has only been around for 6,000 years. Yes. And for about 5,500 or you know, 600 of those years, yeah. it's been, you know, there's one way of doing things all the time, every time. Yeah. yeah. You know, so in the sense of looking at social progress, again, it moves very slowly yes. from our perspective. But if you looked at it from a macro perspective, there's a definite kind of uh, juncture point where it's speeding up very quickly.
2: Yes, yes. Um, if, we, if, this, if we were 100 years in the future looking back, you go, wow. What a progressive time.
3: Yeah. Right. Yeah, Or, you know, yeah, yeah. If you were back in time, you know, and, and, and looking at how we are now, it's um, huge leaps and bounds. Not That's not to diminish the fact that there's still huge leaps and bounds to be no, made. No, no, no. Of course ones. not. Of course. You know, but I think uh, that idea is very much lost in the discourse of, you know, focusing solely on what still needs to change without celebrating what has changed.
2: Yeah. Uh, one of the scenes I find fascinating uh, is right at the end at the debutante party when a drunk man declares, goodbye, cruel world, you don't understand me, I'm just a teenager, i got problems, and then deliberately falls backwards into the pool. And it's at that point the young boys, It's like they. I feel like that's the point where the young boys grow up because yeah. they're really disgusted by his actions and you can see that they feel a resentment yeah. that these girls are you know, punchlines or statistics for news stories. And, uh, you know, I I feel like that's the message of the movie, you know, that women aren't a mystery to be unravelled. You know, (laughs) they're they're people. They're human beings. But did you you (laughs) love that that's a really beautiful and sincere moment with those boys, but then it still finishes on that scene of them standing out the front holding up a... Holding up a lighter. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah! Yes. That won't light properly. <laughs> that won't light properly. <laughs> and it was such a such a beautiful like the sincerity of it, and you've seen them grow up, and then they don't, like it, but, it was it felt like a stroke of genius that it took like four attempts for yeah, it to yeah, light yeah, yeah, before. Yeah.
3: I was as it was happening, I was like, "Is this uh, is this a mistake that yeah. they've just a perfect you know kismet." Yeah, of, uh, yeah yeah but uh yeah yeah no but it's uh they've got that idea of that they've grown up yeah but you know it it, it, it they haven't yeah you know it, 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 it's not like you know I mean, maybe in a in a in an ancient tribal society where there was a three-day ritual where you got a tooth knocked out of your head and you had to yeah. wander the desert and you came back a man, sure, that's a fucking line in the sand. Yeah. Uh, we, our society, you know, there are these milestones, but, you know, I didn't emerge from the year 12 formal a man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank goodness. My tribal ritual was getting drunk and singing Love Shack at the year 12 formal. It doesn't, you know, um, so... <laughs> the idea that they have that they've grown past all that is just an idea, so it's yeah. actually very um, appropriate that they, you know, after the debutante ball, who's, which theme the theme of which is uh, asphyxiation, and oh, they're all wearing yeah. Daimonte <laughs> yeah. gas masks, yeah. <laughs> fantastic. Uh, but it's it's wholly appropriate that they go back and do a, a very um, teenagey thing.
2: Yeah. Uh, only a few more questions. Why do you think the girls invited the boys over to their house on the night they were going to kill them? That's
3: something I can't get my head around because it seems quite a spiteful act uh yeah you know
2: so i'm i'm a little bit uh uncertain of how i feel about it and for everyone listening if they have theories on it love to hear it go to the facebook page and please share it with us but the i I wondered if it, it, it it was a little bit like because it was all that kind of in in the lead up to that, it was the listening to music and mm. uh, talking through songs and yeah. the, the cards and everything. And and it's funny cause, because you see that little moment where one of the boys fantasizes that they're all going to be in a car driving yeah, along. and it's a beautiful moment. And it's, uh, but then it's almost like that last moment is the girl saying... It's it's almost like Patricia Arquette in Lost Highway saying you will never have me, you know. And yeah. it's almost, uh, this is almost like you will, n- you you never knew us.
3: Yeah, I think I think it is that. And I and you know I would, uh, again I've only seen the movie once, so I'd have yes. to rewatch it to get my head around that. But it, it it seemed jarring in the sense that I would understand like I you know I, I mean I guess the way I read it is you know you have this idealized idea of who we are. Yeah and we're here to show you that it's not what you think. Yeah, But their interactions prior to that moment are quite sweet. Yeah. You know, playing the records over the, the phone. And uh. Even the little stickers that the girls put on the letters that they yeah. send to them, the, the rainbow and the unicorn and that kind of stuff. There's an innocence to it yeah. that both the boys and the girls are participating in. Uh, and so it was... I mean, I I... I you know uh made an audible noise in that moment where they walk down into the basement and he's dancing uh, and then bumps into the the legs hanging yeah. from the oh the rafters yeah um yeah and it was yeah i i i I don't have a fully formed idea on that yet
2: no neither do i but that was kind of where i that's kind of that's my initial thoughts anyway until i get to watch it again and, yeah. but it might be something that i might have to <laughs> like i have been thinking about it yeah, a lot yeah, yeah. you know i've to be honest i've rewritten that question a few times since i've watched it as i you know kind of well maybe it's this maybe it's this Mm. it's it's funny because we're approaching this set of uh you know following her movies in such a different way to what we did with nolan it means that it's quite fresh like there's uh there's a question that i deleted actually you know what i'll tell you at the end there's a question that i deleted that i thought that I thought about and then I went, no, this is going to take us in the completely wrong direction. Uh So I'll, I'll tell you that at the end, but that's been kind of fun with the process of, Oh, right. Okay. Where are we coming at this rather than movies that you've seen, you know, 25 times in a row, but I found that scene, you know, the exchange of music, Mm. it was, it was a part of that. That's a part of my teenage life that I do miss where it's like that, that pureness of enjoyment, Mm. That is untainted by mm. anything other than, this is how I'm feeling. Yeah. Uh, I found that quite uh, quite beautiful. Yeah. Uh, in the end, this is not only a view into young women and the way they're viewed by the people around them, but also an elegy for how life passes through us and changes us. In the end, life is essentially unknowable, and even the memories that fuel the people we are today are fuzzy. In the end, is there any way to be true to yourself when you're made of such unreliable information?
3: <laughs> uh, I think you can only be true to the version of yourself that you currently are.
2: Yeah, right? That's it. That's how I felt as well. Yeah. Two more questions. Do you think the boys, once they're grown men, learn the right lessons from the sisters?
3: Um, I wonder that because, I mean... These, these sisters have basically become mythological creatures yeah you know in their in their memory so I wonder can you learn the true lesson of something when something's so idealized yeah you know um, you know they, they they have all this mystery and uh, you know romanticism to this event but really it's you know, five young ladies killed themselves and yeah. it's fucking horrible. Yeah. It's fucking horrible. Yeah. Um, you know, and did it in in, in such a, um, you know, going back to that thing of, you know, how they're all dressed the same in, in quite a cultish way. The fact yeah. that they all did it at the same time, you yeah. know, uh, and and it did seem to be somewhat of a fuck you to the parents. It, it, the, the story's horrible. Yeah. Um, so probably not.
2: Yeah. Well, uh, but when I say the lessons that they learn not that they should like i just because i was still alive yeah. that's why i asked the question not that the girls were maybe even sending out lessons but it's uh oh yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: um yeah i don't know i i like
2: like I the think, narration's fascinating because it does feel quite insightful in many ways
3: there's insight to it but there's the, the there's that you know and you know like i kind of blanch against it the nostalgia and the and, yeah. the and and looking at the past through you know soft focus filters and that yeah ah uh, so yeah sure there's some lessons learnt but um that kind of romanticism that's connected to it I I don't particularly resonate with that like I don't look yeah. at, uh, the past to me is the past it's yeah. not this idealised time there's idealised moments of all all through my life yes. uh, I don't look back on my you know and maybe yeah. that's maybe that's a testament to uh you know my life has been kind of uh there's been great moments all through i guess if you yeah you kind of gotten to a point uh where you know if you're trip fontaine and life has become very you know yeah locked in you do look back on the past as like oh man it was so much better back then yeah um sorry i went off track no no, no another that's fav- another favorite moment for the listener <laughs> yeah have a drink have a drink
2: uh, final question, which ties in perfectly with what you're saying. On a scale of 1 to 10, mm. how rapt are you that you're not a teenager anymore? Oh, fuck, man. You cannot pay me a million dollars to be a teenager yeah, again. Right. <laughs> so true. So true. By the way, the question I was going to ask you, and I, I didn't know how I, I wrote it down. I didn't know how I felt about it. Uh, I was a bit confused, and then I saw my manager for the first time in uh, 14 months. Uh, in person and yes. she's seen this movie and read the book and i asked her the question i said i don't know how i feel about this and she told me she, we we discussed that and i took it out because i thought it would take us in the wrong direction uh-huh. but for a moment i wondered if there'd been any molestation through with james wood's character and the reason i thought that was because there was the point where he comes into the room and he sees cecilia and then like not long afterwards the young boy looks up in the tree and sees uh, Cecilia and I didn't know if there was a oh, connection okay. there but I actually thought that takes it away from what's actually going on in the movie and yeah. I, I I it was a brief moment yeah 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 but I ultimately thought it was incorrect and Yeah and I didn't I didn't I didn't read that yeah.
3: at all I
2: uh And Helen said to me that that was she didn't see that either and it was like and and it's it's more powerful if it's not
3: yeah, 100%. Yeah. And, you know, I think he's just, uh, I mean, he just, to me, I just read that guy's goofball dad. Yeah. Goofball dad surrounded by, you know, g- surrounded by girls and women. Yeah. You know, and um, just kind of whatever, going through his life. Like
2: like a the beiges of dads.
3: Yeah, but he also seemed to be kind of, uh, you know, obviously he's more liberal than the wife. Yeah. And he's kind of encouraging them to live a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I saw that as kind of an act of kindness, yeah, um, yeah, you know, and a, acceptance of just the reality
2: of life. A, a nice, weak, meek, yeah, yeah meek dad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, some squid bits for you. Uh, Coppola wrote the script for the film in 1998, but the movie had already been greenlit by another studio. The production company was dissatisfied with this version of the script, though. So, when the rights to the novel lapsed. Coppola pitched her manuscript. Uh, she loved the movie. She loved the novel the movie is based on, and said that she didn't know she wanted to be a director until she'd read *The Virgin Suicides* and saw how clearly it had to be done. Kathleen Turner was the first actor to sign on to the project and had known Coppola since they co-starred in *Peggy Sue Got Married*. Oh, wow. Yeah, James Wood signed on after receiving the script from Francis Ford Coppola and was impressed by the script and the dark humor. Uh-huh. A few actors auditioned for Lux, but Coppola went. By the way, I've just noticed I'm saying Coppola and Copler and I don't know if that's really annoying for anyone. <laughs> I should agree on... I'll, I'll settle on one. <laughs> Sophia went on her gut to hire Kirsten Dunst. Dunst was nervous in the beginning because it was her first sexy role mm. and wasn't certain how it would play out because there's so little dialogue. And right. And it's like, yeah, of course, Madeline. It, 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 I already thought she was great, and yeah. I've always thought she's a great actor. Yeah, she's great. But it... I hadn't really thought about that. And I thought, oh, yeah, you, you young kid and there's yeah, not yeah, this yeah, amount, yeah. not the normal type of dialogue that you'd expect. So,
3: And she eventually becomes Sophia Coppola's muse.
2: Yeah, yeah, fascinating. Uh, the author of the original novel, Geoffrey Eugenides, Eugenides, visited the set and supported the movie, but said he viewed the girls as more of an entity than actual people. And this is fascinating. He suggested what he would have done is hired different actresses to play the same character and the actresses would have changed depending on who <laughs> they are speaking to, which is a logistical nightmare, but what a fascinating yeah, yeah, idea yeah, yeah, and yeah, I right. would love to see someone else do something like that. that. That to me was one of the all-time great yep. suggestions yep. for something and I, I don't know if it has been done, but I thought... What a great idea. Yep. Uh, Paramount Classics didn't give the movie a wide release because they were afraid girls might commit suicide <laughs> if they saw the film. The movie was made for $9 million and grossed just under $5 million. Coppola said that one of the inspirations for making the movie was the dearth of coming-of-age films from the female perspective. Yep. Aside from John Hughes' movies, Coppola found most teen films in the 90s to be lowbrow and not well-crafted. Yep. Sophia Coppola received the book from Sonic Youth's Thurston Moore, Alicia Silverstone was offered the role of Mary Libson, but turned it down. Uh, Coppola also offered a role to Scarlett Johansson, but she considered the script to be too intense. And then, of course, they make Lost in Translation, yeah, the very next yeah, film. Course, yeah. uh, Coppola played uh, played Kathleen Turner's little sister in Peggy Sue Got Married, which was also directed by her father, Francis. Uh, Teresa's date, Jake Connolly, I didn't recognise him, it was Hayden Christensen. Oh, really? Yeah, I yeah, didn't well. recognise I saw the name, I was like, oh, fuck. Anakin um the girl's deaths are foreshadowed in the prom photo with Lux's hand reacting to the water dripping like she's holding a cigarette and she's found dead with her hand oh, hanging yes. out of the car holding a cigarette. Bonnie's arm is scratching her upper back but appears to be resemble a hanging, which is mm. how she died. Therese's eyes are closed and she took her life with sleeping pills and Mary is stuck between her sisters and she gassed herself to yeah, death in yeah, the yeah, oven yeah. just before Lux heads to the car in the garage you can see a little tear under her eye which foreshadows their deaths as she is the last one alive and the Virgin Mary cards mix sexual and religious metaphors throughout the movie. We see Virgin as a sexual element, but also Virgin Mary as a belief system that Mrs. Libson, uh, Lisbon believes in wholeheartedly. Later, we see a bra hanging from a crucifix in their bedroom, a statement on the girls attempting to understand their sexual awakening in relationship to their mother's insistence on oh, purity.
3: Very good. Very good.
2: Uh, so. Uh, I was already happy with our decision to like watch these movies 100%. and I as I said top 3 decisions after a comedy gig to go home and <laughs> not hang out with comedians and watch this film <laughs> uh is there anything that you, that you want to add any other thoughts No or? no I'm
3: very glad that this is uh this is where we're going now very yeah. good because I again I you know uh It was very easy to talk about the Nolan stuff. Yeah. You know, there were three podcasts, I think, where I didn't even need to re-watch the film before we recorded. Yes. Because they're kind of in there. But uh, and I was a little bit nervous about talking about a film I've only seen once. Yeah, uh, but I'm very much looking forward to the rest. Well,
2: I, f- I felt a bit of pressure putting these uh, questions yeah. together as well because uh, a you want it to be interesting for everyone that's listening. I want it to be interesting uh, for you to create conversation, yeah. and then also I'm extremely cognizant of the fact that we are two white men <laughs> uh, watching these. Films. But this is why we're doing it because there's, yeah. there's there's heaps of podcasts out there with heaps of dudes with dicks talking about dude movies with, with other yeah dude dick movies, yeah, you yeah. know? And <laughs> so uh, to, like, I, I really felt like I was trying to shift myself so yep. I'm looking at it correctly and thinking about it differently. Yep. And, uh, you know, I'm wrapped. I'm, I'm in a really good mood. And the next one's Lost in Translation, which Fantastic. you said you've seen and you can't remember. 20 years ago. I rewatched that last year, purely... By chance, and yeah. uh, I can't wait to rewatch Great. it because I think we've got uh, a lot to talk about. Anyway, I'm going to let you go. That was Virgin Suicides, and Ben will be back very Thank soon.
1: You.
2: Thank you to Ben Elwood for helping me kick off our Sophia Coppola viewings. I can't wait to watch the rest of her movies, and I'm loving the different stories we'll be inspired to talk about over the next couple of months. You know, uh, I hope we're up to it. She's a really smart movie maker, and uh, you know, Ben and I are going to have to step up, I reckon, so we're we're both excited, and uh, I hope you're excited about this as well, especially if you haven't watched her movies too. We're, We're all in this together. Uh, Don't forget to check out Something is Killing the Children, and also if you're watching WandaVision, please come over to our Facebook page, uh, join our little private chat, and let us know what you think. This season is all about broadening our listenership, so if you'd like to recommend us to any friends or colleagues, or even leave us a top review online, that would, as always, be appreciated. I'll be back later with the first episode of my rewatch of The Leftovers. So if you haven't started yet but want to get in early, you have a couple of days to do that. Otherwise, you might like to wait and uh, have a listen to the episode, which I'm hoping will be out by the end of the week. That is the aim, anyway. Since we discussed the version suicides and the way people can view you from afar, I thought I'd leave you with this quote from Susan Sontag and the relationship people have with photography. Sontag said, To photograph people is to violate them, by seeing them as they never see themselves, by having knowledge of them they can never have. It turns people into objects that can be symbolically possessed. That's a quote to keep you thinking for a while, right? Until then.